Hey folks, thank you for tuning into the Grad School Sucks podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Matthew Carlson, and each week I'll be bringing you conversations that will help grad students like you survive grad school and thrive in a post-grad school career. If you end up enjoying today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the description of this episode for links to everything that we talk about today. Without further ado, let's start the episode. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, just, I do want to c- plug a couple things out there. I know you from Instagram. I know you also have a TikTok and want to let everyone know your handle is future Dr. Can, and that's future dr.can. I'll have links to all your stuff in the description of the episodes. So people can scroll down and click, but uh, would you go ahead and just introduce yourself further, let folks know what you are about, and then if there's anything I missed on how folks want to follow you, let them know that too. Sure. Yeah, so my name is Angela, and thank you, much, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I'm a yeah. fourth-year PhD student now, studying immunology um, at the University of Cincinnati, housed in the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And I work in a lab that studies asthma, and my project looks at how obesity influences asthma severity. And so I look at particularly invariant T cells and how those play interactions with other immune cells in the lungs during this whole obese asthma interaction that's going on. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, I'm in Ohio now, but I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. So I just want to say that. I like yeah. saying that I'm from California. People find Absolutely. that very interesting for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I was looking at your Instagram account to kind of like refresh me of, of some details. And quick plug, I saw that you just had a real hit a million views. Congratulations. I know. That's oh crazy. My gosh. I never in a million years thought that this this would happen, honestly. Yeah, that is awesome. And I, I saw in your bio, like your last line of your profile description or whatever it's called was I miss California. Yeah. And I thought that was so fun. But um, we, we're glad to have you over here in the Midwest. Uh, you know, we were just talking about before we started recording, we're like an hour and a half apart. I'm down in Lexington, Kentucky, you're up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, anyway, I'm getting distracted. So Angela, yes, you, why did you go to grad school in the first place? Um, I think it was kind of like I was just going with the flow sort of thing. I mean, I've always been interested in science. Like that was my number one thing all throughout um, like grade school and in undergrad. I sort of went into, actually went into college thinking I was going to go to medical school. Mm. Um, I thought I didn't really know what a PhD was, to be honest. Um, So I thought that that was like the only way that you could pursue science is you had to go into medical school. Um, And then I had... A professor give a lecture about what you can do with a chemistry degree. It was like my first chemistry class ever. It was like pre-chemistry, chemistry 100, not even 101. <laughs> and I like fell in love with the way what she said about you know what you can do with a PhD. And I was like, okay, well, I think I think that's I think that's where I'm gonna go because medical school, I don't know, just the whole yeah. working with people and um, their lives in your hands type of thing is too nerve wracking for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, when so you're you're at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. How does that work with you being a grad student? 
Yeah, so our program, the immunology program, and a lot of the PhD programs at the College of Medicine are housed in the Children's Hospital. So everything is actually, like, I never actually even go across the street to the College of Medicine for anything. Really? Okay. Um, Well, all of our labs are here in the Children's Hospital, and it works out really great. I mean, um, we have all of we have all of the resources of the children's hospital right like all of the core facilities such as like the flow cytometry core microscopy all those things um and we basically are just kind of like employees of the hospital essentially except that we have green badges instead of blue badges that's the only sure. difference <laughs> that's so interesting but yeah it, there's not there's not a lot of there's not a lot of difference but yeah. So, so what compelled you to look into that as a, kind of like your, your program that you were going to be in? Um, I actually spent a summer internship here in Cincinnati. Um, Cause I always like when I started getting into like, okay, I'm going to do research as a career, you know, going into PhD, I started looking into when I started doing undergrad research, uh, what type of research I was interested in. And because um because my dad passed away with cancer when I was like a tiny, tiny baby, I was like, okay, like maybe that's something that's, you know, related to me that I want to study. And I I did some cancer research in undergrad and I didn't like it. Mm. And so I was like, okay, let me, let me think of a, a different, something related to me that's also interesting and scientific related. And I have asthma and I was like, okay, you know, well, I've always been interested in studying that sort of thing. So when I, went to conferences and things, I asked about those sorts of things. What program do I need to go into to study this? And they would tell me microbiology or immunology or, you know, something or, and most of the answers were immunology. So that's sort of how I landed on applying to immunology PhD programs. Very cool. Very cool. Immunology. So how, how has kind of a sidetrack, but how has immunology, um, I don't know. How were you all affected by the coronavirus? Like, I feel like that became kind of like a big topic in immunology. Yeah. Well, I mean, because we're connected to the children's hospital, we are technically have to abide by all of the main hospital like regulations and stuff. Hmm. So we actually, we shut down for like six months. We weren't allowed to do anything because there are patients in the hospital and, you know, they didn't know what to do, even though our Mm -hmm. buildings are separate. Um, so, you know, research was completely shut down for six months. We had to, like, you know, um, sack all of our mouse colonies and things like that. But the um, demeanor really shifted as well, right? Like, so all of the immunologists were, like, because we know what's going on, right? Like, we know the science of what this virus is doing. And as papers are coming out, we can read them because we understand the science of it coming out, of what's happening. So it was very interesting to see the shift in like importance in the infectious disease department. Mm. And we have a lot of um, immunology labs in that department as well. So it was like, okay, like who's going to help those labs? Like this, this, you know, those infectious disease labs that are part of our program, we, you know, are sending them help. Like we need students to help um, design new ELISAs to test um, the spike protein. And so a lot of students, basically abandoned their projects for a few months to help with those sorts of things. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of PIs as well, who had prior experience with designing things like that, who had like industry experience also sort of like put in a helping hand because we are also like a vaccine center. Hmm. So our entire st- infectious disease department was you know working hard to help with 
the vaccine with Pfizer and things like that. So yeah, it did shift dramatically from, okay, you know, everyone's just doing their thing to like, okay, everyone's pitching in to really help with this COVID problem. Yeah. 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 All hands on deck. Um, So are you all pretty much back to normal now in terms of like the kind of projects that you're working on? Yep. Yeah. We're back to normal. Don't even have to wear masks anymore in the research buildings. So everything's pretty, I mean, there are, you know, certain regulations now because of COVID, like if you work with human samples, but that's basically the only changes that have been, haven't gone back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, what else has your grad experience been like? I'm really curious, both from like just your general experience, but also like what it's like to work in a, in a hospital kind of setting, that kind of a thing. So what, what's the journey been like? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been a rocky one. Like I said, before we started my, I, I, I'm a fourth year, but I'm not going to be finishing probably for like another two or three more years because so like right before COVID happened, I was in my first year, the second half, the second semester of my first year. So we were still rotating, trying to figure out what classes were, I mean, what um, lab we're trying to join, right? I was in my third rotation. It was in the asthma department and that sucked, right? I didn't get to really, I didn't get to really experience that level of um, that level that a, a student should be experiencing when they're rotating. It, it all went virtual and I was just reading papers. I see. Yeah. Um, so I ended up choosing from, I ended up choosing a lab that I rotated in pre-COVID and I joined around like maybe June of 2020 and when everything was still basically shut down. And the lab is amazing. Don't get me wrong. The lab is amazing, but the lab is huge. It was 30, 30 something people in that lab. Um, the guy is very famous. He has a lot of funding, but I was the only graduate student. And so, you know, while everyone's at home writing, because he's like, if you have things to write, you should be right staying at home writing. And plus everyone's kids were home as well. Mm. So I was the only one there and it was not a good experience for myself. Like I was being really hard on myself. I was um, just basically not being healthy. So like come December, 2020, I decided that like, you know, I'm, I'm not healthy. I need to take time off because basically like I went to like a hospital and everything, like it was a whole thing. And so I requested a medical leave. So on top of the delay from starting research, I also, there's also that delay from medical leave, which I was on medical leave for five months. Then I came back for medical leave, which is now, this is like the end of my second year. Uh, And I decided that I didn't really, I wasn't really uh, fond of the way that my PI at the time had responded to me taking a medical leave. I felt a little unsupported. And so I was like, that's not what I want for my PhD experience. And so I decided Mm -hmm. to switch labs right before my third year. So that put me even more behind, right? Starting a brand new lab at the beginning of my third year. And that's why I say like, you know, I still probably have like two or three more years because technically I'm a third year in research, but a yeah. fourth year in the program. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then after after that, it's been smooth sailing, right? I did my nice. qualifier right after. Yeah, I did my qualifier right after that. Spent like six months doing my qualifier right after I qualified. Then I applied for an F31. So it's been like bang, bang, bang since I came back from medical leave. It's just like, you know, large qualifying exam, then large grant to to do. And then 
And then since then, I think it's been a little bit more relaxed, but you know, PhD, I don't think there's ever really a relaxing moment. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like, um, so I think something that's interesting about that story is like, I, I talk to a lot of grad students who feel very pressured in the specific situation they're in, whether it's their PI or the dynamics in their lab or like their program as a whole. And I think most of them choose to just kind of like grin and bear it and just kind of like gut through the, that whatever the difficulty is. But, you know, even though you lost some time, do you feel like you're in like a much better place and have a much better trajectory? 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's funny that you mentioned that because I was going to just like try and tough it out, honestly. But our program has a really great like coordinator in our office and she's really nice. And, you know, if you go to her with problems, like she'll give you advice. And she told me like, you know, that you can take a medical leave. Like, and this is like me fresh out of the hospital. She's like, you know, you can take a medical leave if you need it. And I was like, I didn't know that. Yeah. I was like, I think I should probably do that. And so, like, I think a lot of students don't know that that's an option and that all schools have to offer if you request it. You know, like, if you need a medical leave, if you need some time off from school, they, they have to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And putting putting yourself first and your mental health and your physical health, that, that pays so much forward. And, you know, giving up a little bit today in terms of, like, your inertia or whatever, yeah. your productivity is... Um, can pay a lot moving forward yeah i so. mean I'm, I'm i'm much happier now like it's it's been a lot of work right like therapy and all that stuff in mm-hmm. addition to everything else so yeah I'm, I'm in a much much better place now yeah that's awesome that's awesome so what what are some of the the projects that you're working on right now yeah so i have three separate projects i think right now um, one is the obesity one where I'm just, um, I'm looking at mucosal and mucosal associated invariant T cells or mate cells for short. Um, and they are just these invariant T cells who have a T cell receptor that's specific for, uh, like vitamin B12 derivatives and that sort that sort of, um, those sorts of molecules and bacterial metabolites and things like that. And I'm looking at those and how they interact with other cells during obesity and asthma. And then I have a project looking at those cell types in just lean asthma um, because we're seeing opposite effects with, you know, the lean asthma versus the obese asthma. So we're trying to look into the mechanisms for in both conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a sort of like third project, which, not, which is not really my project, but I do a lot of the the work for it, like the data, like the, you know, the um, organ processing and data analysis is um completely different from the other two projects it's a ptsd and um, chronic inflammation project Mm. so they've actually found that um, people who have chronic inflammation or chronic inflammatory disorders such as asthma have a higher um, incidence of psychiatric disorders like depression and ptsd so we have a project going right now looking at how chronic house dust mite exposure can promote the occurrence and prolonging of PTSD. And so that's my third project. Very cool. What what do you want to do with all this? Uh, like one day, like all of the research that you're getting into, like 
you want to go academia, industry, do you want to teach, do you, yeah. want, you know, what are you thinking? I switch back and forth between academia and industry all the time, I think. Um, I told myself I was very, I was very like industry only, industry only. And I told myself, okay, I'm going to try for a grant, you know, because I don't know if I could do it. And if I get it, then okay, then maybe I could do academia. And that was the worst promise I could have made to myself because mm-hmm. I, I got the grant. I just found out I got the grant last month. And hey, so now I'm, like, I'm not, now I'm like, okay, maybe academia wouldn't yeah. be so, so bad, right? Because I really enjoy teaching. I really enjoy working with students. I really enjoy helping them succeed. And I've done a lot of that um, throughout, you know, like my academic career too. So I kind of want to keep doing that. But if I could find a way to do that while doing in, in while I'm in industry, I think I would prefer that. So be in industry while also being able to mentor and help students get into grad school and succeed in grad school. I think that would be like my ideal situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so so when did the Dr. Future Can, you know, Instagram account pop up? When did you get the idea that you want to start making social media content? <laughs> So funny story, it actually started as a, oh, this is embarrassing. It actually started as a fashion page. Nice. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to start dressing cute and just post it and get into like fashion on Instagram. <laughs> Bad idea. Um, after like a couple months, I was like, this is this is a waste of my time. Like I should just be, you know, like I got inspired by other people doing their science social media. And I was like, I should just do that. That's so much easier and less of my time really because I can just record what I'm doing. So then I switched it over, but then I wasn't really posting much because I was like, you know, I wasn't in lab during the medical leave. And then, um, and then I was just like always working when I was in that other lab. And then, and then um, my qualifier was just focused on my qualifier. Directly after my qualifier, I was like, I'm going to start posting more. And then I just started posting frequently and it, it blew up. And that was, uh, I think, beginning of 2021. Yeah. 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 No, beginning of 2022, actually. Sorry. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you had, like, what are some of your favorite pieces of content that you've made? Um, I made a Nutrafil funny video a, long, a while ago. I don't think it got that many views, but it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. Um, so Nutrafils, do the, I don't know how much you know about Nutrafils or whether anybody mm. will know about Nutrafils, but Nutrafils have this function where they can throw their DNA to capture um, pathogens that are, you know, that have entered the body. And so it sort of looks like they call it neutrophil extracellular traps. And so it's just kind of like a net that they throw essentially. Hmm. And I made this video where (laughs) I I pretend to be both the virus and the neutrophil and the, um, the virus comes in and the neutrophil is like, spraying its extracellular traps at the virus (laughs) and i essentially have i'm spraying myself with silly string to represent the extracellular Mm -hmm. traps and i think that was the funnest video i've ever done oh that's awesome that's so (laughs) fun 
when when did you start like have you always done the like short reels um yeah i think when i started posting consistently it was mainly short reels because they were like the easiest and i was still trying to figure out you know like how to make them and um what content everybody liked out there and stuff like that so yeah it's it's always been short reels i used to post a lot more like carousel educational posts Mm -hmm. um and that became time consuming for me and i found myself focusing too much on creating content and not enough on my research sure so I've sort of just been focusing on the the comical stuff for now when I since I don't have as much time as I used to. Heck yeah. And the comical stuff is fun to make, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's fun. Do you want what do you wanna do you wanna just like keep making content moving forward? Do you want it to become like some kind of like platform that you talk about? Do you wanna do science communication, uh like more moving forward? Have you had any thoughts about that? Yeah, I do want to create more like educational stuff, kind of like like a better version of that neutrophil that neutrophil video, things like that, you know, like educating on immunology but making it fun because I feel like there aren't a lot of pages that do that. Hmm. Um because it's difficult, right? How do you explain something so complex in a fun short 7 7 second clip right. um to catch people's attention? Um, but I think when I have more time to really generate those ideas, I'd like to do that more. Yeah. 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 That'd be cool. Uh, so one of the things that, um, we had talked about, this is a while ago. I don't remember when we started DMing probably a couple of weeks ago, a month ago. I don't remember. Um, a month, I re- or so, I month or so. I remember yeah. it on your, on your Instagram page that you talk about being a first gen student. And mm-hmm. like what that means to you. Can you speak a little bit about like what it's like to be a first gen student and kind of like the meaning that has for you? Yeah, I think I think there are two major things to being a first generation student that maybe a lot of first generation students would agree with is the first being completely clueless <laughs> with regards to all the academic things that you have to do, right? You you never you don't know what the next step is because your parents don't know or no one in your family knows. And the second part is being the one in the family who's doing well mm. has an equally amount of self-pride and um and imposter syndrome, I would say. Sure. Because they, you know, when you're a first generation student, your family thinks, I, I, for the most part, at least mine does, and I've heard a lot of other Hispanic families who have first generation um, PhD students say the same thing is like, they are always like, you know, putting you up and telling you, you know, oh, you're going to be the savior of the family. And it's, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure to put on one person. And well, yeah, it feels good. I mean, but you know, it's, it's, it's stressful when your family thinks that you're the one who's gonna pick everyone up. So I think in addition to the not knowing, not knowing how to navigate academia, it's also the added pressure of being the one that needs to succeed. Because like, I can't count the number of times I've like, you know, like, maybe I do want to quit. Maybe this, maybe I don't want to be the best, you know, who needs Mm -hmm. a PhD, maybe just master out or something. But then I think back to like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like that would disappoint my family, even though mm-hmm. it wouldn't. Sure. Even though I know it wouldn't, 
I feel I feel like I owe it to them to to finish. Yeah. Even though, even though they're not like you need to finish, you know, they're actually sometimes the opposite. <laughs> you know, come home, come home. You're so far away. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. When you're whenever you finish uh, up your studies and you're starting to apply to jobs, are you going to try to to nail down something in California? Or are you going to look look broadly or what you thinking? I love California. I love California. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so biased about California. I am definitely going to apply to jobs in California, but I'm very open. Like, um, I also, you know, my, my significant other, my boyfriend and I, we have locations that we want to apply to after we graduate. So it's really going to be dependent on where we both end up. And mm-hmm. he's from Florida. So thankfully he's from somewhere warm. Yeah. <laughs> so Florida and California are at the top of the list for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, to, to go back to the first gen thing for just a second, when we, whenever we're talking about first gen, are you referring to being the first person in your family, first person in your family to go to grad school or first person in your family to go to college at all? To go to college at all. To college at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I feel like I can totally see like how that carries like a lot of implications. Um, one of my friends uh, in grad school, who was one of the first people on the podcast, she was a first gen student and uh, navigating like the whole university system was like so new to her. And like you said, like there's no one in your family that you can you can go tap to kind of get like that knowledge about how to like work in that system. Um, yeah. yeah. What have you found to be like the key resources that you can go to as a first gen student to kind of like uh, feel like you got your feet under you and you can kind of like figure out how to navigate like the university environment. Yeah. Um, I got, I say I got lucky, but I think that I also found her on purpose and I found someone who is also diverse um, at my undergrad institution. Hmm. She, she was a, she's a botanist. She had her PhD, she had her own lab, and she also like had these grants to mentor students to go into PhDs. Um, and so I would say like find someone like that who has experienced it, right? Who's also maybe a first generation student, or not even first generation, but even just a diversity student who um, navigated those obstacles before you, because they will have really good and specific advice for you. And that's that's what she was for me. Her name was um, Dr. Zavala. She's an amazing woman. <laughs> um, but she's the reason I knew how to apply to graduate school. She's the reason mm-hmm. I knew what was required of applying to graduate school. Um, and before her, I didn't know that I even needed undergrad research experience to do research. Um, I didn't know that I could just contact a professor to join their lab. It's like those small, tiny, like nuances that, you know, a first generation doesn't realize they have the, the, um, the power to do, but, you know, you have someone like that who is like, yeah, you can just email a professor and be like, Hey, I want to be in your lab and they can accept you and actually even pay you to do that. Um, and I think people who aren't first generation do have that knowledge because their parents, they know they can be like, Hey, Mm -hmm. you know. Like a lot, and I've met a lot of people who are not first generation students who started research in high school because they knew about wow. those sorts of things. Because they knew about those sorts of things. So, 
yeah, find find that doctors find your own doctors of Allah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The power of a good mentor. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Um so what one of the other things that I know uh we've talked a little bit about and you had mentioned before is like the importance of mental health. What are the things that you feel like that you do that kind of help you maintain like a high or at least, you know, acceptable quality of mental health in grad school? Of course, grad school is going to be hard, but, you know, <laughs> how, do, how do we keep our heads on straight? Oh, man. I think being, I think trying to be self-aware is one of the main, main things. Like people are always like, yeah, therapy. But I think you can be going to therapy and not have any results because you're not looking at yourself and being like, Hey, what am, what am I telling myself right now? Am I being mean to myself? Yes or no. And mm -hmm. that's like the difference, right? If you're self-aware about how you're treating yourself, um, that really changes how you view what you're doing, how successful you're being. Um, and then of course, you know, therapy, therapies, I know, I know that's a, that's a touchy subject because hard to come by expensive, depending on your insurance. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think everyone in graduate schools should have a therapist, you know, like you don't have to have a mental illness to have a therapist. Your therapist is like your sounding board for ne the negative emotions that you're experiencing and trying to help you process those. So you don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be anxious. You know, you just have to need someone to talk to that's unbiased and understands the brain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've loved all the times we've gone to therapy. And uh, one of my ther uh, therapist colleagues used to say that we feel like, uh, you know, how you go to a doctor like every year for your annual checkup. We feel like that that should happen for therapists. You know, you should go to someone, you should check in because it becomes so hard to kind of like see ourselves if we're not kind of like reflecting in the mirror of someone else um and i i feel like in grad school it's very easy to like downplay mental health problems you know because it's like of course grad school is gonna have pressure but uh there's no reason to just kind of like you know bake like a pressure cooker until you just you know <laughs> your personality yeah. just kind of like erodes away. That's no fun. Yeah. And it, it gets even harder when like, if you go to schools with the majority of professors being like, well, I did this. So you'd have to too. Yeah. And you know, our, our generation and the gen generation, the younger generations are, are learning how to fight that mm -hmm. like sort of mentality, but it's, it's really difficult, right? When someone doesn't want to be less toxic they're yeah. just fine with being toxic. You have to either leave that space and do what's best for you or learn how to navigate it through therapy and, you know, self-awareness and self-talk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we are, we're approaching the end of our time together. Was there any other topics that you wanted to hit on while we're still here? We talked about the first gen thing a little bit, mental health went through your PhD journey, which of course you're still in, but you're on your way. You're looking, you know, looking towards jobs, weighing the two directions. Um, and then social media, do you have any uh, thoughts about like your social media platform moving forward? Um, I, 
I want more people involved, you know, like I wish I had more people here at Cincinnati that I can share mm. with, you know, like there's, it's, it's not as common as you think being like someone who posts frequently or who is a content creator on social media. That's yeah. not really that common, especially with STEM content creators. And so I, I want more people to be involved. So if there are people out there who are thinking of starting a page, I'm I'm going to tell you, you should do it. You should definitely do it. Yeah. Um, you're going to feel, crin- I, honestly, I still feel cringy sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you'll get through it and your videos will get better with practice. I mean, sometimes I look at my older videos and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. But um, if if I had to, if I had to say my piece about social media, I would I would just I'm I want more people to do it. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. And honestly, like part of why I like started the podcast was to like have conversation, not always with creators, of course, but like you know have with a couple of creators every now and then because um, I just think it's so interesting to talk about like the process of creating content for an audience. Um, I recently went to a like little meetup group for for uh, content creators here in Lexington, and someone associ- is someone who's associated there actually went to grad school and will be like a future podcast guest. So plug for the future, I suppose. But um, it was really interesting to talk with other content creators. None of them have anything to do with grad school, uh, besides this one person. And what he does now isn't even associated with with grad school. But it is interesting to to chat with people about like, you know, talk shop about like content creation and chat GPT. That's like, you know, the big thing kind of right now, um, particularly with like text based content. But um, yeah, no, I totally get that. So. All right, Angela, any parting thoughts? What do you think grad students should be doing um, in order to like get through grad school? and still prioritize mental health? Um, that's a tough one. I mean, everyone says, everyone says self-care, but I mean, honestly, I think it's more finding your circle, right? Because grad school can be lonely and you should definitely find your circle who you can mm-hmm. talk to. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be at the university you're at because you, um, if you feel like you can't trust your cohort with those sorts of things, that's fine. But like, for example, my really close friends from undergrad, we're all in different PhD programs across, across the country, but you know, they are my like support system for those types of things. Cause they understand and, um, they also have good insight and they can they can help talk me down from any ne- from negative things that I'm thinking, right? So I would say, yeah, like find find your circle. Yeah. Yeah. And that really that really helps with the like coming out of negative spaces, just leaning on people. Makes so much sense. Makes so much sense. All right, Angela. Um where if folks want to follow along in your journey, where should they be looking? I know we mentioned the Instagram account and I know you've got the TikTok one up and running. Yeah. Those are your two main places. Do you have anything else? I do have a Twitter, which 
it used to be popular and then during and then I deleted it for some reason and so I have a new one with the same uh, with now that's future Dr. Ken but I, I don't I don't really post on there um, uh, Twitter is difficult yeah but I do have a Twitter if people want to follow me on Twitter I post occasionally not as frequently as Instagram and TikTok but yeah Twitter. very cool all right. Well, I have links to all of that in the description of this episode. So if you're listening, you can scroll down and click on those and pull them right up. Angela, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to meet you and chat with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. We'll see you in the future. Folks, thank you for tuning into the Grad School Sucks podcast. I hope you got a lot out of our episode today. If you did, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the description of this episode for links to everything that we covered today. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Matt Carlson, and I look forward to bringing you another great episode next week. See y'all next time.